Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Yes, that's right. Welcome back into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, episode number three. And today I want to talk about change. You know, it's one of those things that always is going to be occurring. One of the things we can always guarantee we will see is change. And as leaders, change just kind of comes with a job description, right? Don't we feel like as leaders, it's our job to drive change? Earlier this week, I wrote a blog post about change and about the responsibilities that leaders have when it comes to leading change. And the truth is, so many of us as leaders, I fell into this trap all the time, believe that we are the ones who have to go and do all the change. We have to be the ones who are making the changes happen. This was spurned on, uh, honestly, with me um, from a conversation that I had with an early career leader a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about systemic change in her particular uh, her particular worksite, and she was telling me about how she wanted to see these systemic changes within uh, within her school, and one of the things that she was really talking to me about was how do I create systemic change? How do I make sure that the changes that I am going to lead are going to really impact the greater system as opposed to just, you know, being temporary solutions? And the response that I gave her, I know surprised her a little bit, and it might surprise you, unless you've already read the blog post, in that as a leader, I don't believe your responsibility is to be the one to create all the change. I really don't. I'm going to say it again. I really don't believe that you as the leader are responsible to do every bit of the change. But we take it on, right? As leaders, we have this tendency to take on all of the responsibility and carry all of that load on our shoulders when it comes to changing the system. That could be something related to our curriculum. It could be something related to our data practices. It could be something related to behavioral interventions or Whatever the case may be, we as leaders feel we have to do it all. Why is that? I'll tell you, at least for me, I won't speak for all leaders, but leaders are doers. And I have this tendency to feel as a leader, I have to do the heavy work. Why would I ask people to do the heavy work when it comes to change? It's one thing to delegate, you know, a bus schedule or to, you know, delegate maybe something related to a parent event. But when it comes to a a systemic change, hey, that's my responsibility. I have to do that. And that's a trap that I think all leaders fall into. Now, what are your actual responsibilities? I'll get to that in a few minutes. In this episode, I really want to hit three things. Um, First and foremost, I really want to hit that trap a little bit harder on why we fall into this belief that we have to do it all because we're the leader. And then number two I want to hit is the actual responsibilities. What is your job as a leader when it comes to creating systemic change? And then finally, um, how do we create that need for change in others? How do we get others to feel the need for change, to see the need for change, and to take that ownership when it comes 
to creating change. We'll wrap up the episode with a pep talk, but I really want to talk about leaning into change. As a leader, man, I struggle with this sometimes. And I go back to, first and foremost, I go back to my first year as the building principal, as a high school principal. And I'll never forget sitting at the interview table. And here I am, 12 people around the table. I know all of them. I know all of them very, very well. And at the end of the interview, I ask the question that many of us, when we sit at the end of the interview table in the hot seat, if you will, that we ask when it's finally our our opportunity to ask questions. And my question was, what is it you expect of me if I am going to be the building principal? And I cannot tell you what 11 of the 12 people said. I can guess because I know who was at the table, but I can tell you unequivocally what the superintendent said. I'll never forget. He looked at me and said, Darren, I need you to be the instructional leader of the school. As I left the building that day, feeling one, very confident in the interview that I had just had, and number two, playing that response from the superintendent over and over and over in my head. I actually had to drive that day. I had to drive about two and a half hours to go catch up with my family for an event my daughter was a part of. And so for two and a half hours, it just played over and over in my head. Darren, be the instructional leader of the school. Well, folks, in the system where I was working, I was the assistant principal in charge of curriculum, instruction, and special programs. I oversaw professional development. If it happened in the classroom and it wasn't discipline, it fell in my wheelhouse. I already was the instructional leader. And all I could think in my head that that entire time on the drive, and then mercifully they called me shortly after I got to where I was going to let me know that that, uh, they were offering me the job. And then the thinking continued. What did he mean, be the instructional leader? I already am. A couple days later, I'm back in the building, starting my new gig as the building principal, 40 feet down the hallway from my other office. In truth, it might as well have been 400 miles from my other office. The differences between being the the principal and the assistant principal are just stunningly vast. But honestly, that's a story for another time. But as I'm sitting there in my office and I'm thinking about and thinking about and thinking about be the instructional leader of the building, what did he mean? I already am. I was so confused. And I started taking it on myself right then and there. He means... I'm responsible for all the change in my school. Now, as a young, early career leader, what that means to us is I have to do it all. I'm the guy. I have to be the guy. And I started finding myself thinking about what are the responsibilities of other leaders in my building and what am I going to allow them to do? And, you know, in the previous structure, One of the APs was the instructional leader, but that's not what the superintendent wants. Now I've got to do it this way. And I found myself pretty quickly that year feeling that I had to do it all. And honestly, I was doing it all. I was resentful towards my assistant principals because I felt like they weren't doing anything, but it wasn't their fault. That was my fault. I was leaning on them instead of leaning into them. I needed to be giving them the opportunity to take on some of these responsibilities and taking on some of these roles. But because as a leader, I felt I had to be the doer. That's what, that's what ultimately happened. And 
I was really bad at delegating and I had to get better. I had to learn. I also discovered finally at a point that (laughs) I was so overworked. I was just overwhelmed. I was getting home super late every night. I was disengaged with my family. Even when I was there, I was on, you know, checking my email constantly or getting a text from this person or that person and constantly working. I was 24-7, 365. And yes, I wanted to be the best principal I could be, but I wasn't necessarily using my time efficiently. I wasn't working wisely. I was just trying to do it all. And as leaders, we tend to fall right into that trap. And that's what I'm talking about now is why is it that we fall into this trap? We do everything and we work so hard and we're just putting in long hours and we're disconnected from our families. And yet our change initiatives still fail and we can't figure out why. Why is it? You know, I'm, 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 I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm driving everything that needs to be done. I'm, I'm telling them why it needs to be done. Why is it not being successful? The very best leaders fall into this trap, folks. So if you have, don't beat yourself up. I've beaten myself up enough for everybody on this particular area. So, so let it go, you know. But instead, I want you to think about this. Any change that you lead as the ultimate doer, that is a totally person-centric change. And what I mean by that is eventually you're going to move on. You're going to take another role. You know, you're going to have an opportunity to do something else. You're going to get promoted, whatever the case may be. And when you go, there's quite likely to be another shift or a new initiative or another change that ends the change that you put in place because of how you let it as it being very person centric. What we really want to see, and this is this is what spurned this particular conversation a couple of weeks ago, is we want systemic change. We want change that is for and about the system. I mean, after all, that's that's the goal, right? We want to change the system. We tend, or at least <laughs> I would tend to think, of changes automatically systemic, right? Because if, if we do this, it makes the system change. But if it's not coming from the ground up, if it's not owned by the people who are going to do the work and really are the ones who are trying to change, if they don't own it, then it's not systemic. Think about it this way. Ask yourself the question, does this change result in members of my crew telling new members when they come in, this is how we do fill in the blank? Or when they see members that have come in and are doing things differently or contrary to what it is that that you have changed from, are they saying to the new members, hey, we don't do that here. If that is the outcome of the change, then it's truly a systemic change. It's truly a meaningful change, and it's a change that is going to last beyond the individual leader because it's not done by the leader. It's led by the leader, but it's done by everybody involved in the system. But how do you get there? How do you make those systemic changes happen? 
Well, here is where we talk about what your responsibility is as the leader. This is how you lean into change. Instead of leaning on people and pushing on them and forcing them to do something, we instead want to lean in to that change. And the way we lean into that change is we focus on the responsibility that we have of not doing the change, not forcing the change, but rather creating conditions in which people feel empowered and trusted and they see the need for the change. When we lean into the change, that is something that is going to create a systemic change. We give people the opportunity to own it. We give them the opportunity to see why it is we need to change. And I'm not talking about just hitting them over the head with data. I'm talking about really spending time listening to them and spending time with them and getting their input, actually bringing them to the table and talking about the current state, not just as you, the leader, see it, but as everybody who's a part of that ecosystem. How do they see the current system? Because sometimes we will get blinded by our own views. Let me phrase that another way. A good leader is going to see the need for change. They're going to identify how. They're going to say, okay, this has to change. Here's how we're going to do it. And then we're going to set out to go gain consensus. All right, folks, based on this data, we need to make a change. Here's what we're going to do. And we're going to get that consensus through training. We're going to get that consensus through a directive, or we're going to get that consensus by bringing an initiative into place. In other words, this is change that's driven on what we need to do. Now, the great leader, just like the good leader, is going to see the need for a change. But what separates the two is the response. The great leader is going to now go out and seek the opinions of others. What are others seeing related to the current ecosystem? Is there really a need for change? What are people experiencing when they're working directly with kids, when they're working directly with their peers, as opposed to just us as the leader looking at at certain data or at certain outcomes? Why don't we get the opinions of others? And what we find is often those others, they have their own opinion, But they might also have other options. They might have other possibilities of things we might try as opposed to, hey, I saw this at a conference. I think it's a fit for what we need. Let's just go steamrolling forward. What if, in fact, we bring other people into the decision-making process? That's what a great leader is going to do. I'll give you an example. When, um, And this was when I was still an assistant principal. But I was leading work around our school culture and climate. And a lot of it started with just one moment of clarity, which which is a story that um, I think I've told before, and, and it's definitely in the book. But it ended up growing because there was a shared desire for positive student learning, for positive student behavior, for quality teaching and learning conditions. And while some would have described and did describe the ideal state as being, hey, I've got all my kids in the class on a regular basis, or my kids are always engaged, or my kids are turning in the bulk of their homework, or more kids are graduating, whatever the case may be. Everybody had their own different take on what that ideal state was. But instead of it just being my ideal state or our leadership team's ideal state, it was what, what do the rest of 
the part, the folks that are part of our team, what do they think? Because here's the thing. They're on our team for a reason. We put them on our team. You know, they're smart, intelligent adults. We need to actually value what they have to say and let's listen to what they say. Either way, what I learned in that process was I didn't always have to be the driver. I had so many other people who were believing the same things and singing the same songs. I got to let them lead so much of the change. And because that was a grassroots level change, we were so, so very successful because nearly everyone bought in. Nearly everybody jumped on that bus and said, yes, we need to improve the current school culture and climate that that we have. So how do you go about creating that? You know, getting that, that we're all in this together. I, I would tell you that it's not just about naming the problem. Everybody can do that, right? I mean, we can all name the problem. You know, we might have one or two things going on right now that these are the things we need to improve on. Hey, we all know what the problem is. But there are no awards for naming problems. It's for solving problems. So the question then becomes, as you're having these conversations, is how might we do this? What might be a possibility for us to address this situation as opposed to just, hey, here's a new initiative or here's a new program? We hear teachers say all the time, I have so much on my plate, and they're right. They do. An easy way to help alleviate that is to bring them to the table. Allow them to be a part of it. Another piece is, you know what, folks, we've got to stop solving everybody's problems for them. Again, this goes back to leaders being doers, but if we create this sense of self-sufficiency for our people where they feel empowered and they have the ability to solve their own problems, you know, it's one of the biggest mistakes I think that leaders makes is we feel we have to be the person that has the solution to all problems. If you're trying to solve everybody's problems, let me let you in on a little secret. Stop it. Just stop it. The most important thing you can do is empower people to solve their own problems. They feel this great sense of self-efficacy when they can do that. It also frees up a lot of your time. You don't have to be the doer of everything. You don't have to be the purveyor of all knowledge. Let people solve their own problems. It gives them such ownership in the organization. It's such a powerful thing to do. And you know what it does is you end up moving from compliance to co-ownership. You end up having these situations where people own the whole of the school. Now they start saying things like, hey, this is how we do this here. Or no, we don't, we don't do that here. And that's what we're striving for, right? That's that full team, everybody in it together. You know, I would find myself in the front hallway quite often going and grabbing a broom or going and grabbing a mop and, you know, cleaning up a spill or cleaning up a mess. And I remember a few times when a student would stop and say, you know, hey, Pep, what are you doing? I mean, that's not your job. And to which my response was always, it's all of our jobs, right? You know, I mean, I pick up trash every single day. Did I carry the title of custodian? No, but I didn't care. I mean, to me... Everybody has those responsibilities. And when we have that shared ownership, 
that's when we start to move away from that. Hey, that's not my job to, Hey, my job is, is, is to help everybody who's a part of this program. I think another way that you create that ownership, that willingness to see the need for change is by really paying attention, you know, and ask a lot of questions, you know, when you're in classrooms, when you're around people in the hallway, when you're with them at a professional development event or whatever the case may be, just ask a lot of questions like why, you know, why do you do it that way? Or tell me more about why you are approaching that topic from this direction and not in a sneaky, ooh, you're in trouble, I'm the boss kind of way, but a truly inquisitive mind. Tell me why you do it that way. Help me understand the way you think because not all of us think the exact same way. And when we take the time to really learn about how our people think, about how they problem solve, about how they process information, that helps us to help them see that need for change, to help them take that ownership around the need for change. If we understand how they think, that helps us in how we think as well. It doesn't keep us then so tunnel visioned on just us, but keeps us embracing everybody around. Because again, I've said it a hundred times and I'm just going to say it a hundred more times. We're in the people business and we can't forget that. And paying attention and listening to people and asking good inquisitive questions that help you grow and learn. That is part of being in the people business. Right along that same lines, it's talk to your kids. You know, you, you work in schools, and so that's why you're there, right? It's because of the kids. So if you're not sure of what's happening or why kids are reacting a certain way or responding a certain way, ask them. As adults, we have this, we have this feeling that, well, we were kids once, so we know. No, we don't. Stop it. We don't because what it was like to be a kid when I was a kid versus what it's like to be a kid now is, is totally different. And, yes, kids are kids, but the thing about kids being kids, is they want to be heard. They want adults to ask, what's going on? Tell me more about this. Tell me what you need here. When we listen to our kids, that's huge. You know, I go back to the, the big culture change that I led as, as, a, as an assistant principal. Folks, the number one thing we did that made us successful was we listened. We listened to our staff. We listened to our kids. And the things we thought we knew about our kids, I mean, one of the th first things we addressed was, was an attendance issue. And it was our belief that the reason our attendance was so low was because of reasons X, Y, and Z. And the truth is, our kids said, no, that's not it at all. Here are the primary reasons. These are the reasons why attendance is as low as it is. And it certainly wasn't, you know, hey, please hold us accountable more. Punish us more. That's the reason. No, not at all. You know, in reality, what, what we learned was, well, our kids were hungry. They were high school kids. Of course they're hungry. They're always hungry. Have you raised a high schooler? They're always hungry. But we didn't think about that. We looked at it from the lens of an adult. Why are kids doing what they're doing? Stop. Ask your kids because they'll tell you. I mean, let's be honest. Change is hard. And it's really hard. But it can be done in a way that's effective and meaningful but, folks, this is where, as a leader, you got to lean in. 
you've got to be intentional. You really want to make sure that that change that you think is important is important to everyone. You want to lean in and make sure that that change happens in a way that is going to live on beyond you. That's not person-centric, but rather that it's systemic. That's what you want. You want effective change. You don't want it to be dependent on you. An excellent change happens when leaders lean in to those that are around them. We're at that point in time during the school year, folks, where as leaders, we're starting to make some of those decisions around change for this coming year. We're looking at our professional development calendars. We're looking at the current initiatives that we have in place and what are some things we might need to do to improve the current state and how might we go about doing that. Think about what I've shared with you in this podcast. Think about that lens through which you are viewing change. Yes, as the leader, it's your job to, to be looking for that change. But keep in mind, if you're always focused on creating the conditions in which people feel valued and trusted, where they have an opportunity to share their voice, to share their ideal state, and it's not just simply the leader saying, we're going to do this and here's why, the odds of success for that change go up tremendously. It makes a huge difference. And that is leaning into change as opposed to leaning on your people. All right, now it's time for a pep talk. Before we get to the pep talk, just a quick reminder, click on subscribe, give us a review. I'd love to hear your feedback on the podcast because the podcast grows and gets better based on what you share with me. It gives me that opportunity to act on your feedback. So please reach out and share some information with me. My pep talk this week really is fitting in well with this particular episode because when we think about change, a lot of times change happens because we've identified a problem. So what I want to talk about in the pep talk is this. There's a big difference between being the namer of the problem and the solver of the problem. You're going to have people who love to tell you what the problem is. Unfortunately, a lot of times, those people don't want to step up and be part of the solution. Remind your folks and remind yourself when you find yourself in that victim's mindset where you see problems as well and you want to complain Folks, it's easy to name the problem. It's a whole lot harder, but a whole lot more meaningful when you solve the problem. So when you you come up with those moments in time where you hear that there's some complaining about this and complaining about that, that's perfectly fine. That's naming the problem. But the response as the leader needs to be, I hear you. I see you. Now, help me solve the problem. What might we do? What suggestions do you have? Empower people to solve problems. Don't just let them continue to name the problem. 99% of the people, folks, that we would label as struggling, as 
resistant, as not on board. They just simply want to be heard. This week as a leader, make it a commitment that you're going to get out there and give them their opportunity to be heard. But when you do, again, remind them, it's one thing to name the problem, but now will you step forward and help me solve the problem? I appreciate you joining me for episode three of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. I hope you have an incredible week. If there's something I can do to help you solve some problems, to work with you, your leadership team, and your district, just reach out. Contact information is in the show notes. Get out there. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.